0: such treatment, to call such and such and get in on the opportunity for money. Perhaps you have suffered at the hands of medical malpractice. Perhaps you're in the medical field and you shiver at the thought of messing up with someone's life. There's a great danger in going into the the law, as we have done and have been doing, that I might do a similar thing, and perform a pastoral malpractice. If you leave here, and I've said this over and over again, if you leave here this morning with just, I shouldn't steal and I shouldn't lie, and you've missed Jesus, then I've not, I stand condemned. We have been, through what we've just sung, through just the way in which the Spirit has moved this morning. If you miss Jesus Christ this morning, you've missed everything. Christians are not, if you're you're not, and let me speak directly to you, if you are kind of just checking things out, you're not really sure about church, you're not really sure about Christianity, you've been burnt by it, whatever. If you think that all we are is just here to talk about how to be better people, I pray that the Lord reveals very clearly to you today that that's not why we're here. That we're here about Jesus Christ and what he's done. We've sung, Joel said, we've sung a lot of clear, clear things about what Jesus has done for you. And he calls to you. And there's this great scene in Revelation 5. My mind went to this, and I just want to allow this to lead us to a brief prayer before we get into the Word together. Everyone gathered around the throne of God says many things, but they say this, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's Jesus. He's worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And even as we gather to worship, we're still worshiping, by the way, as we gather underneath the the word of the Lord. As we gather to do that, we are joining in with what is already taking place around the throne of God right now, the worship that does not cease. We're joining in with that now. And so may we um, come with a sense, and, and even as Joel prayed, a sense that we want to hear from the Lord, we want to see Christ, even in something like the law, that would tell us not to steal and not to lie. How could, we under, how could we get to Jesus through that? I pray that the Lord takes us there. Let me pray and just ask the Lord's help. I ask that you would pray with me. God, please speak. May our hearts be ready to hear from you. I pray you do a powerful work this morning by your Spirit, through your Word, I pray you'd reach into the hearts of people who do not know you or who are trying to understand what this is all about, feel a a tug, they're not even sure perhaps why they're here, Lord I pray that you would speak directly to them and may all they be able to see is you, with your arms open to them, inviting them to come to you in faith. Lord, those of us who are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, may we be helped by what you've said. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're in Deuteronomy 5, making our way here towards the end of The Ten Commandments, or more literally, the Ten Words, the Ten Words that the Lord shared with Israel at Mount Sinai, where we're at in the text, where, as you perhaps remember, 40 years after he initially shared these things with the Israelites at Mount Sinai, and now uh, here in Deuteronomy 5, Moses is incorporating and reminding these words into essentially a, a, a sermon, reminding the next generation of what the Lord said, reminding them of the fact that the law, these things that the Lord said, were the basis of a covenant that the Lord had made with the Israelites, with his people. And uh, Pastor read Jesus' words there in response to a question he was asked about what is the greatest commandment, and Jesus gives us a helpful summary of the Ten Commandments, and really of all the law and the prophets, as he says, and it's based on loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We find that. Out of loving God, out of loving who God is specifically, and even specifically as Joel said, not a God or God as you define him, but as God has how he is, as how he has revealed himself in and through Jesus Christ. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We find that obedience, keeping the Lord's commandments, flows out of a love for him. When we love him, we keep his commandments. We display our love for him as the outflow of our love for him comes out in obedience. But what are his commandments? Well, Jesus existed before he was born to the Virgin Mary. And the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the triune God, have existed eternally. And as the law was given on Mount Sinai, all that the Lord gave in the Old Testament in terms of commandments and law and what you should and should not do is given through the hands of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. First John chapter 4, Beloved, let us, not, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's 1 John 4, 7, and 8. The second part of the Ten Commandments, really uh, Commandment 5 through the end, is all based in, or rather 6 through the end, is all based in loving your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about honoring your father and mother. We've talked about... Um, murder and adultery. Now We're talking about stealing and bearing false witness against your neighbor or lying. All these things have to do with one another, how we relate to our neighbor, how we relate to those around us. And it's all based in this idea that Jesus summarizes in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But we find there's a close tie to as we love God, we can't help but begin to start loving those around us. And the validity of our love for God is almost shown through how we love those around us. Both fellow Christians and somebody that thinks we're crazy for being a Christian. We're called to love them both. Because God is love. And so there's a clear command here in, of love. And, and boy, the world, if they get a little taste of Christianity, and they talk about it on TV and or a movie or some song. We love to talk about the love of God. We've sung about all those kinds of phrases that are true and right and good, but the world likes to talk about love, and, and they misunderstand love, and we've been shown through what, the words that we've sung this morning, the way in which God has displayed his love, and most perfectly through Jesus Christ on the cross. The true, pure, perfect, divine love is shown through sacrifice and just complete lavish grace not through self-serving not through um, getting what we would like and so we have to come into this these two commandments just as we've done the the rest of honoring your father and mother you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery we have to come to these commandments understanding that these are rooted in loving our neighbor as ourself and that displays the way in which we love God we don't love our neighbors ourselves, it's very likely that you do not love God. And so, as we come to Deuteronomy 5, verse 19, and you shall not steal, and verse 20, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We're wanting to know what do we do with these things? They're very simple, aren't they? <laughs> Shall not steal. Check. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Check. Okay, I got it. Let's pray and go home. Right? It seems very simple. But what does this mean? What does it mean you shall not steal? Well, other than the obvious, that you're not to break into your neighbor's house and steal something, or take something that is not yours. There's a positive here, hidden in this commandment. And it's best reflected in, in Ephesians, in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4. All of these commandments that uh, command a, a, uh, against uh, something, do not do something, has as the counterpart to it a positive command, a positive uh, thing that the Lord is teaching us. So if you keep your finger in Deuteronomy 5, we're going to be going around a lot. So get your fingers stretched out because we're going to be all over the place. But Ephesians 4 in verse 28, the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesian church, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The way in which Paul applies that very commandment, do not steal, does not just stick with don't, he doesn't stop with let the thief no longer steal, but he goes, keeps going, doesn't he? Rather, let him labor. In other words, get a job. Work. Work to accumulate things. Why? Doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul is not, uh, and and the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, is not uh, comfortable with just leaving it, don't steal. The inverse is said that, you go from stealing all the way to generosity. Let the thief no longer steal. Let him work with his own hands, doing honest labor, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That, and I, I talked about this in a focus hour uh, a few weeks back, but that is the kind of transformation that, is, that happens through the Lord coming into our lives, changing our hearts, through faith in Jesus Christ. Only that can do that because thieves like to steal, because it's easy. I don't want to get a job. I don't want to, I don't want to work. I don't, certainly don't want to give something to you. I just want to continue to get. God has to do something to that heart to make it go from that all the way to generosity. And so in one sense, in this commandment is a call to generosity. But if we just left here and said, oh, okay, I need to be more generous. You still have, you're still missing things, aren't you? Because you're not able to just flip that switch. In Sermon on the Mount, in, in chapters uh, 5 and 6 of Matthew, Jesus talks about this sense of generosity. He says, if someone sues you for your tunic, give them your cloak also. And then he talks about the beginning of chapter 6. When you give to the needy. Not if you'd like to or if you feel so led. But when you give to the needy. When you give to those who need. So generosity is assumed. Is expected for those who are children of God. Those who are in his kingdom. So there's a positive aspect to this commandment right off the start. It's not just do not steal. It's be generous. And the New Testament helps us with that. Jesus himself helps us with that. But what else does this mean? Do not steal. Don't take advantage of people. If you remember back in in, a few commandments ago, verse 11 of Deuteronomy 5, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We talked about how that is not just about don't use the Lord's name as a swear word. Yes, that's true. But there's more than that, because using the Lord's name had a sense of you're using God for your own advantage. You're using his name for your own advantage. This commandment, you shall not steal, has a sense of, because it's talking about loving your neighbor as yourself, this has a sense of you should not use someone else for your own advantage. Don't use the Lord for your own advantage. Don't take his name in vain. You shall not steal. Don't use someone else. For your own advantage. Don't take advantage of people. Don't use other people for your own personal benefit. Employers, pay fair wages. And don't use your employees for your own benefit so that you can make a few extra dimes and not pay them. Don't use people around you for your own benefit. And have no sense, because you're stealing their time. You're stealing, in, in a sense, who they are for your own benefit, for your own building up. This is a tough one, perhaps for those of you that suffer from the same thing that I do. <laughs> uh, I am hardly ever on time to just about anything. Were it not for the grace of God giving me my wife, I would be 15 minutes late to everything which to me feels like that's I've arrived on time. <laughs> and there, I read an article one time about this, and there's many different reasons why people are late to things. Uh, sometimes people are just lazy and they don't care. And, oh, I just woke up. Oh, okay. For me, my condition <laughs> is such that, okay, I have a half hour. Well, I could probably mow the grass, take a shower, and balance my checkbook Before I go, I'll be there in time. Or if I get up in the morning, of course I can get ready in six minutes. No problem. I just tend to, my conception of time, I'm I'm a a positive person. I look at everything on the bright side, which is annoying to some that don't. And so even my conception of time seems like, ah, i got plenty of time. And so then pretty soon I realize, oh, I was supposed to be there 20 minutes ago, and I haven't left. But where the rubber meets the road is when you have a job, that you're supposed to be there at such and such time. I can remember my first job uh, was in a feed mill uh, when I was 15, and you, if, you, if you clocked in four minutes late or less, or more than that, you were 15 minutes late, and you can get paid for those 15 minutes. So guys that would come in at 6.05 would just sit in the break room till 6.15, because they're not getting paid, because I'm already late, so it doesn't matter. Well, then you get you rack up too many of those, and then you get dinged, and you get written up, and you're in trouble. And uh, for me, I'm, I'm just not letting enough time go by, but the reality is, when you have a job that essentially that not like that, that you're not clocking in, and it's dinged by your particular time of getting there, but you just start at 8 o'clock, you need to be there at 8 o'clock, but if I show up at 8.15, I'm still getting paid like I showed up at 8 o'clock, I've just stolen from my employer. And I... I told Anna I was going to say this. She said, you better, uh, we talked about at the board meeting, getting your life in order. She said, the Lord might strike you dead if you talk about this tomorrow. Because I am guilty of this. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm a late person. And if I've ever been late to something that involves you, I'm sorry. It's not because I don't care about you. I'm not trying to steal from you. But the Lord, through his word, tells me that I am. So I am condemned. But this is true. And this is where these kinds of things work their way into all kinds of little situations of our lives. That so we get, uh, some, sometimes we can get so caught up about the big sins. I don't want to, I want to avoid this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. But these kinds of things get down into the little nitty gritty personal conversations, personal relationships, how we're viewed, our integrity. And boy, this gets tough because the reality is, Well, no, I've never just broken into somebody's house and taken their TV, but I'm pretty sure I'm guilty of stealing. I've taken advantage of people for my own gain at times. I've taken things that aren't mine in terms of people's time, in terms of people's value. I've gotten into a mode where I just, I need to get this, this, and this, and this, and this done. Yeah, let me talk to you so I can get this done. I'm not really wanting to maybe perhaps spend time with someone. I just want them to do something for me. Have you ever done that? It's an ugly thing. And it's so much easier to spot in everybody else. Because you know when you feel that well, they're just using me for something. You never do that, of course. everybody else does. Leviticus 19:11 sums up, uh, really, and ties both of these uh, commandments together, as we're thinking about, what does this mean? Do not steal." Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 11. "You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. It's combined, really, both of these commandments we're going to talk about. But in the middle, that middle phrase, you shall not deal falsely. That has to do with both the sense of bearing false witness, lying, but also how what we're trying to get from someone. Why else would you deal falsely with someone other than to get something from them? when we don't pay all the taxes that we're supposed to pay. We're taking something that isn't ours. It doesn't matter if you agree with the law or not. We've already been told, by God's Word, that we're called to obey. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. We're called to obey. Deuteronomy 24 talks about not stealing a person. How, in years past, People were able to use the Bible to validate and celebrate slavery. I have no idea. There's a clear statement in Deuteronomy 24, verse 7. You can look at it. It talks about men stealing. Stealing a man and making him a slave. Guess what that results in for the person that does that? Death. You can't steal people and make them your slave. Now, we, you might not do that. But you see the principle there of trying to get someone to do something for you simply out just for that transaction? Using them as an object rather than a person who's made in the image of God? The result of men stealing in the law was death. Here's another one. What does this mean? 1 Thessalonians. This one might surprise you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What else? does stealing mean? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul, starting in verse 3, says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one, listen to this, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. Sexual immorality has a, is bad in and of itself, but has a close connection to stealing, because I could be defrauding my brother by participating in lust. He's talking about the sense of, Uh, adultery, lusting after someone else's wife who's not my wife. I could be defrauding my brother. That's someone's daughter. That's someone's wife. I could be stealing by committing sexual morality. It's bad enough to commit sexual morality. See, very often, and we'll find this as we close in the next few weeks of this series on the Ten Commandments, very often you're never just breaking one commandment. You usually break in several, if not all, together. Because they're all interwoven, all interconnected, because God is one. And there's a sense in which he is revealing his nature through his law. And each person of the Godhead reveals the same nature and and, uh, upholds the same nature. And so even something like sexual morality can be a way to defraud or steal from your brother. Proverbs 9 and 20 both talk about the sense of stolen water and stolen bread done in secret. You perhaps know these passages. Let's go to Proverbs 9. This is a Another way that we can see the way in which sexual morality is very closely connected to stealing. Because the, uh, the, the author here is not just talking about water and bread. Proverbs 9 verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Ah, But what about the next verse? Verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Friends, pornography is stealing. You don't own those people. And any time you involve yourself in secret, it's not secret, secret sin, indulging in another person as the object of your lust, not only is that a problem, but you're stealing from them. You're trying to say that you own that person. And the only person that owns that person is the Lord God, whose image that person is made in. That's someone's daughter. Proverbs 20, verse 17 says, Basically the same thing. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. There's great promise in taking things that aren't yours. It promises far more than it delivers. I can remember I worked at a grocery store in high school, and um, it was late, and we were almost closed. And this guy came in and uh, where all the cigarettes? were, he stole four cartons, cartons of cigarettes, shoved them in his coat. And my manager, <laughs> Joe, his name was, caught him walking out. Hey, hey, what are you doing? And Joe, I wish I could do Joe's voice because just even the way he said and yelled at the guy was funny. Um, he takes him in the back, <laughs> and I think that guy would have rather him just be turned into the police than have to deal with Joe in the back, in the produce room. <laughs> I can remember, though, Joe telling me, he said, you know, if he would have came in and had a a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread under his coat because he didn't have a job and his kids needed food, it still would have been wrong, but I could have understood it, maybe. But... Four cartons of cigarettes, for crying out loud. Like, really? There's a promise of taking something that isn't ours, be it stuff, be it people, be it people's time, other people's time, whatever, that promises something that it does not deliver. Titus 2, verses 9 and 10 also talks about um, stealing, pilfering. It says that uh, the Apostle Paul says, to Titus there, not pilfering, but adorning the doctrine of God. And, he's, and he says many other things other than stealing and pilfering there. But pilfering is just taking little things, insignificant things that don't matter. Why would you even take that? I worked at K- uh, Kmart for a short time, and um, after working at the grocery store, and there was a kid that told me that he was stealing CDs. I didn't really know if he was or not, but he told me that he was, and he's like, all you got to do is just go in and take the little security thing off. And we had to wear these dumb little vests. Uh, and they had a pocket inside, and he would stick the CD inside. And as he'd go out to get carts, he'd drop the CD in his car and then take another one. And so somebody, someday, apparently that he had told about uh, this, took one of the security things and came up behind him. hey, man, stuck it on the back of his vest, which he didn't know. And so he goes out to get carts and walks out and beep, beep, beep starts going off. You know, and normally you'd just be like, oh, that's weird. Why is that happening? Apparently the manager must have suspected him of this for some reason. And so rather than just being like, oh, that's weird, what's, you know, he goes over and starts checking him out. Well, it turns out he had a CD in his vest pocket and he was found out. It never, it never delivers what we think it promises taking something that isn't ours in Exodus 22 and in Leviticus 6 both of those uh, passages talk about uh, the command underneath the law was that you repay fully what you stole but in in Leviticus 6 there is a sacrifice that is uh, instituted to be made after you repay so we might think that well See, this is where we can't get away with just the morality lesson here, okay? Oh, okay, well, the law says we need to repay. Well, that's good. If I've stolen anything, I need to make sure I just repay it, and it's all good. Well, no. Leviticus 6 says, even after you've repaid, you have to make a sacrifice. Well, who are you making the sacrifice to? To God. Well, what does he have to do with it? I stole it from that guy, not God. Really? Really? You know this passage? Psalm, perhaps you know it, Psalm 50. Maybe you didn't know that you knew it. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. God says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, For the world and its fullness are mine. God says, everything's mine. So when you take something, that's mine. So you haven't just stolen from him or her. You haven't just taken him or her's time, taken advantage of him or her. You've taken advantage of me because he or she is mine. He or she's stuff is mine. When you steal from someone else, when you take from someone else, when you take advantage of someone else, when you defraud someone else, You're taking advantage of me. You're defrauding me. You're stealing from me because it's all mine. In Psalm 51, the next Psalm, David says in verse 4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God is clear that he's not just saying you need to just get along. And if you steal something, give it back. Everything's fine. It's not like kids playing on the playground. Give them the toy back. It's not yours. Share. No. Sacrifice needs to be made. Why? Because you have sinned against God. God's involved in everything. There's never a time when God is not involved in some tiny little corner of your life well, this is, this is just about my banking. It doesn't matter. This is just about my taxes. This is just about what I've done with this little thing, and that doesn't matter. God's involved because he owns everything. And he sees everything. So not only does he own everything, but he sees everything you're doing with everything that he owns, including yourself, whom he owns. The pastor reminded us of that last week. Whether you... Know or think or feel or believe or whatever that you belong to God. You are His because He made you. And see, the trouble we get into as Christians is what Paul talks about in Romans 2. It's very easy for us to become very upset with those who steal. People shouldn't steal. You've got to be... Have integrity in the things that you do, don't steal, don't take from things. Get a job. We say all these kinds of things, right? Ah, but Romans two twenty one. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? And this is one this is one of the things that we just go, well, you you know, let me get on to the the real important stuff. This is just as important to God. As anything else. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? All of the things that lead us to various assumptions and thoughts about what those other people are doing, and oftentimes this comes out in politics, you know, they think that they can just loaf. Well, whatever. But do you steal? Because that's all that God's worried about with you, is you. Do you steal? Never mind about that. Do you steal? Do you take advantage of other people? Do you treat other people like your property that you can just take from? Take from their time? Take from the stuff that they have? Just take advantage of them as long as they'll give it to you. Bring it on, because it helps me. Peter reminds his readers in 1 Peter 4, look, if you're going to suffer for the sake of Christ, that's good. But don't suffer as a thief. Don't get yourself down a road of being caught and known as someone who uses people, known as a thief, known as someone who takes advantage of people. Don't suffer for those reasons. Suffer for the sake of Christ. Suffer for the fact that you have owned who Jesus is and who you are in Jesus. Suffer for that in the world. Not as a thief. So this comes down to a failure to love. It's rooted in that, isn't it? We don't love our neighbors ourselves. We take what's not ours. We want things that aren't ours, and we do what, our, what we can to take it. And quite frankly, we are masters at justifying what we do. Well, of course, this is fine. It's just, you know, I, they, they don't care. It's fine. You know, they don't really need this. They don't. They don't ever use this stuff at work, so I'd, I'll just take it home. Nobody's using it, sitting around here. They don't need it, so I'll just. You know, someone should use it. We should be good stewards of the things that God gave to somebody else. First Corinthians six verses nine through eleven. I've referenced this several times over. But Paul says that thieves are unrighteous and the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. Tagged into all the others all the other little categories that we like to really go after because they're those people and they do this and that. And do you know what they do? Well you know who's lumped into that? Thieves. People who take advantage of other people, people who defraud other people, people who don't respect the image of God and other people and try to use them and, and own them for their own property. Thieves are unrighteous, and the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. But Joel reminded us of this. He alluded to it, Romans 5. The unrighteous have hope. The ungodly have hope. Romans 5, verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, died for the thief, died for the person who loves to take advantage of other people for their own benefit. Christ died for you. See, the law beats us over the head and shows us who we are. We love to talk about the word being a lamp to our path, but sometimes the lamp's turned around and shoved right in our face, and we see all the gook. The law does that to us. But as soon as that happens, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're reminded of the cross. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're a thief, if you love to take advantage of people, hear this. Christ died for you. Don't leave here saying, I need to stop stealing. That's good. But Christ died for you. You love to take advantage of people. You care about yourself more than everybody else. Christ died for you. While you were still weak, at the right time. And so how do we go on then with this? How does, has Jesus kept this? I've played with this a little bit with each of these commandments. God is completely innocent in this, God's never stolen anything. Why? Because he owns everything. Psalm 50, everything is mine. How could I steal something from myself? Psalm 45, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. The Lord's never stolen anything. So God is not asking you to do something that he himself does not do. And further than that, he's not, giving you, he's not leaving you without the ability to keep what he's asking you. Chapters 14 and 15 of the Gospel of John talks about the giving of the Spirit. And in chapter 15, Jesus says to abide in me. And then later he says, abide in my love. And this brings us all the way back to where we're at in 1 John. If you love God and know God, you're going to love others. You're going to love others as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is the outflow of knowing the Lord. And so as you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he puts his spirit inside of you, and he begins to change you from the inside out. He begins to empower you to obey the very things that he's called you to obey. You can. You can love your brother or sister. You can love your neighbor as yourself by trusting in his spirit, abiding in Christ, abiding in his love, and following what the Lord says in his word. He's masterful in how he's done this. He's not just simply said, I've given you something that you can't do, so I'm going to sit back here and just shake my head because you can't do it. No, you can't do it. But I'm going to provide not only the punishment that's due the fact that you can't do it, but I'm going to now give you the ability to begin growing to be able to start doing it. So we can begin to start loving our neighbors as ourselves in these ways and not taking advantage of them. What about bearing false witness? We often lump this one into just lying. Perhaps as you go through the Ten Commandments in your mind, you think about this one as just do not lie. But what does the text say? It says do not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is, in, this, this is what it sounds like. This is in a, a sense of a court-like proceeding, um, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that, and it's false. Why would you want to do this to someone? Obviously, this is deceitful, obviously, this is lying, but again, you're trying to do something with a harmful intent to someone else. You're bearing false witness against your neighbor, which you know that you're supposed to love your neighbor, supposed to tell the truth to your neighbor. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 to speak the truth in love. To others, not bear false witness there's all kinds of places I could go with this Proverbs I'll just give you a couple you can look at them yourself later Proverbs 24 28 talks about giving a witness without cause do not deceive with your lips Leviticus 5 verse 1 talks about anybody, and it's against anybody who does not speak when they should have given a witness. Oftentimes, not telling the truth is the same as lying. was like, well, yeah, duh. No, but I mean like not saying anything when it's time to tell the truth is withholding, is, with, is being false. Because it was time for you to bear a witness, but you didn't say anything when you should have said the truth. Proverbs 25.18 says that a false witness is essentially violent. And the, if you read the, the verse, it likens bearing false witness to all kinds of murderous things. See where you can't disconnect the commandments? Do not commit murder. Do not murder. Anger, we know, is the seed of that. False witness is basically committing an act of angry murder because you're maliciously wanting to tear down that person for some reason by coming up with some story about them or saying something that isn't true so that they are hurt in some way. John 8, Jesus is talking about... uh, Let's turn there, John chapter 8. He's in a conversation with some Jews who thought that they were something that they were actually not. They say that Abraham is their father. They're descendants of Abraham. Verse 44 You are, this is Jesus' response, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was, look, a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, the thing about sin is that we're not just people who steal, and we're not just people who lie. We are thieves and liars. We lie and steal from characters, not just we do bad things. See the difference? And that's what Jesus is saying here. You are of your father the devil. In other words, you're not of me, Because you're doing things that are counteractive to what it would mean to be of me. You're a murderer just like your father the devil. You're a liar just like him. Every time he speaks, he speaks out of his own character and he is a liar and the father of lies. Bearing false witness, lying, there's a lot of overlap there. Lying is, really if you think about it, lying is just so dumb. And you feel this the most when you start doing it a bunch. Because you go down a path, and then you realize, okay, I don't know where to keep going from this, because I've built this whole house of cards that doesn't even exist. I've said this, and this, and this, and I have to keep going with it. And how do I uphold it? And pretty soon when you're found out, it all falls apart. And not just have I lied with this time, but I've lied all these other times and i haven't just lied i'm a liar and there's there's uh, it's it's lying is so um it's dumb but it's so uh the opposite of what you want it to be you want it to produce something to just set aside a consequence i don't want this to happen to me that's why little kids lie did you write on the wall no <laughs> they don't want to get in trouble right but we're just little bit bigger toddlers who do the same thing. We want to get out of a consequence. I don't want that to happen. So, no, I didn't do that. And then, well, what did you do? Well, I did this. Well, well, when did you do that? Well, I, I did this. Now you've created this whole other alternate reality that's not even true. There's consequences for lying in the law. Deuteronomy 19, a false witness is to have the same thing, the Lord says, Deuteronomy nineteen sixteen through 20, is to have the same thing done to him. It's the eye for an eye principle. A false witness is to be punished, Proverbs nineteen five and 9 says. And Proverbs 21, verse 28. And back in Deuteronomy 19, it talks about purging the evil. See, we see lying is just, well, it's harmless. I've said this about them, it's not really true, but, you know... It's harmless. You know, the Lord calls it evil and something that should be purged. But what about all the times in the Bible when it seems like lying is okay? What about Rahab? And I'll simply tell you the story and you can look at them. But Joshua 2 and Joshua 6. What about Rahab in Jericho? She's a prostitute. And she lies and hides the spies. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews and the book of James, both commend her for her faithfulness. She's also, as we find in the Gospels, in the lineage of Christ. Nothing bad is said about what she did. She lied. She didn't tell the truth. Does that mean it's okay to lie as long as you're doing it for God? I'm going to leave you there for a minute. What about Exodus 1? The Hebrew midwives, remember? They're commanded to kill all the Jewish kids. And they come up with this whole story about the the way in which the Hebrews are giving birth. Well, it just happened too quick. I I just couldn't get to it. Of course they could have. They lied. But their lying saved many Jewish little babies. What about Moses' mother? Exodus 2. She hid her son. She was given a command. She knew what was supposed to happen. She hid him. She deceived. Well, had Moses not lived, that would have been bad. What about 1 Kings 18, when Obadiah hides all the prophets and deceives all the prophets of God and hides them in a cave? What about 1 Kings? You've got to look at this. 1 Kings 22. This is the one that will make you scratch your head. 1 Kings 22. King Ahab, he's a wicked king. He's done a lot of wicked things. The Lord is preparing to judge him. And he's wanting to go to battle, wanting to know what should happen. And he's talking with Jehoshaphat, the king of the south, the southern kingdom. Jehoshaphat is able to kind of reason with Ahab. Let's bring in another prophet. 1 Kings 22, verse 19. Micaiah is this other prophet that Jehoshaphat once brought in. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Rameth Gilead? And one said one thing, another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out. And I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, That is God. You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. These are false prophets of Ahab who lie all the time. And the Lord here is using their own wickedness to crush them and to ultimately crush Ahab. And so as we put all these different examples together, does this mean this is giving us uh, opportunities to lie when we can try to make it righteous and good? Well, in so much as it has to do with life, saving life like the Hebrew midwives, is it okay? What about when um, uh, we're we're to, to try to help advance the cause of Christ? Then we should lie, and that's okay. Here's the thing, and I don't think the Lord, and this is what the Word tells us, the Word never gives us those kinds of commands and those kinds of freedoms to just say, well, lie when it's okay to the Lord. Because how do you know it's okay to the Lord? How would you know? We have God's Word, which reveals to us His character. And He tells us that He's righteous in all His ways. Everything that God does, every single thing that God does is good and righteous and holy and perfect. A whole bunch of the stuff that we do is not good and righteous and holy and perfect. Because we do things out of motives, out of hearts, that are not always bent on good and righteous and holy and perfect things. right? And so why would we think that we would have the wherewithal to be able to come up with a situation where it would be right to lie? Do we have that capability? The point of this is, and I wanted to go to these couple examples, because I I want to be honest. This is what the Word tells us. The Word gives us these instances that the Lord seems to say nothing about. He doesn't punish it, but He also doesn't say, go and do likewise. And so we have to be careful to not say that this is somehow some sort of holy lying. I think we should shudder. There are people uh, over the course of history who have been put in almost seemingly impossible situations as to what they are to do. Their life is at stake. What are you going to say? Are you going to say this or that to save your wife? The door bursts open, and a bunch of people come in here and hold knives through our throats, and we're supposed to say this or that. What are you going to say? Those kinds of scenarios, which real people, real Christians, have been put in those scenarios. Those are impossible seeming scenarios. And those are, they're not some sort of open door to just, well, then it's okay to lie. Because is it? My point is, I don't think that the Lord gives us an open door to just run after deceit and false witness when he has clearly said, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And he said, do not deal falsely and do not lie to one another. The devil is a liar. Do not be of him. Everything he says is a lie. Why would a good, holy, and righteous God then give you a back door to lie when it seems like it's spiritual? He doesn't. But the ways in which the Lord works, he uses imperfect things to do his perfect, righteous, good things. And so we have to go back to the character of God, how he works, what he does. So is lying okay sometimes? I don't think that it is. Maybe you disagree But I would shudder at the thought of ever trying to come up with a scenario where it's right to lie. Lying is rooted in a failure to love. We lie, defraud, cheat, bear false witness because we don't love our brothers and sisters. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. That's why we lie. Children, you lie to your parents because it seems as though you don't love them. And that might seem harsh, but that's what the word says. Telling the truth is rooted in love. Spouses, you lie to your spouse because it seems like you may not love them. I'm not talking about the silly, how does this dress make me look kind of stuff. I'm talking about real things. And you know what I'm talking about. Revelation 22, verse 15, talks about everyone who is on the outside. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood will not inherit the kingdom. Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. Christ died for liars. Romans 5, again. He died for the ungodly. And here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 7 He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Every insult, every thing that the Lord said as he's put on trial is just bold-faced lies. People uh, from unbelieving hearts, hard hearts, who don't believe who the Christ is, and, and that was alluded to even in, in Matthew 22 there after what Pastor read. People who don't believe what Christ is, all kinds of things are breathed out against him. He's accused of all kinds of things, and he's standing there, and he opens not his mouth. He had every right to say everything that you're saying here is a lie, and he kept silent. And so the Lord has himself, the Lord Jesus Christ has bore all kinds of false witness against him that led him to the cross so that he could save the very people that lied about him, of which we are a part, and such were some of you. And that—that that is the glory of our Savior. That is how God conquers a lying, thieving heart, by dying for you and me. He doesn't come and bash you over the head and try to make you feel terrible. He dies for you and shows you how much he gives for people who lie and take advantage of people and steal. He dies for you. That's what he did. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He had every right to open his mouth. Every right to just condemn everything that took place there. And he kept silent. Because he defines what is true and pure love. But he doesn't stop there with his people. He promises in John 14 to give the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. It leads us back to the truth all the time. To tell the truth, to know the truth, to love the truth. He says in John 17, Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. Jesus, is the Lord God, is all about truth. And he's so much so that he gives us his spirit so that we might know the truth, love the truth, exist in the truth, and be okay with telling the truth, and love telling the truth, and knowing the truth. Because the truth, he says, will set you free. There's freedom in this obedience. You see, we can read the law and do not steal, do not, do not lie. It's this oppressive thing that I can't do it. And you can't, and neither can I. But the Lord has made provision for all the things that we cannot do, and we're freed up to then obey. Which it's, that's, he's saying, this is good for you. This is good that you don't love falsehood. This is good that you don't love taking advantage of other people. This is good that you don't love taking things that aren't yours. Because when you exist in that and you allow me to take you and reshape you and you accept through faith what I've done for you, you'll find that this is so freeing to love and obey me and to live for me. That's where true freedom is. Freedom is not found in, I want to take advantage of people and lie and do whatever I want to do so I can try to get mine. Freedom is found, and Lord, you have done so much. You have made so much provision for dealing with all of the garbage that I have done and continue to do. Freedom says, I've wiped that all away. And now I've freed you up. I've given you the spirit of truth that loves truth, and you'll want to obey me, and you'll feel so much more. This is, this is freedom. Freedom. For freedom, Paul says in Galatians, for freedom Christ has set you free. That's what Paul, That's what God wants to give you. He wants to give you that. And yet we cling to Oh, this is so oppressive. It's so hard. God wants to set you free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you don't know the Lord today, these commands are for you. But before you run to start trying to polish up this or that part of your life, understand that the Lord has a perfect plan of how to repair you and how to bring you back to himself and to give you a desire and a heart to want to follow him. Christians, these commandments are for us. They help us understand the ways in which the Lord Jesus Christ has set us free to live for him. He's given us the spirit of truth, the spirit that leads us in all righteousness, pointing us to his word, helping us to live in ways that glorify him, and helping us to give him more praise and more thanks for the ways in which he has freed us from sin. Let's pray. God, I simply give you thanks for what you have done in Christ. None of us could have come up with such a masterful, gracious plan that you have in what you've done for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. I pray this morning that someone would understand, Lord, what you have done for them and that they would believe. They would set aside their lives of sin and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and understand that he has made provision for them, whether they are a thief or a liar or whatever else. You love them, you've died for them, and you call to them. I pray that they would repent and believe and trust in you and find true freedom. I pray for Christians this morning, Lord, that we would understand what you've done for us. That even as we sung, we're a child of God. We are who you say we are. May we rest in that, and may we live in the freedom that you have provided for us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.